And so I'm blessed that you're here. I hope that you're blessed that you're here. But it's a series that's going to go for a handful of weeks, and it's one that God has laid on my heart pretty heavily that we need to talk about these things. So it's going to be fun, but we're starting out the series today. Um, and if you have been paying attention or you have Facebook, you've probably seen this picture up there, the church, cruise ship or battleship. So here's, a, here's how we're going to start this, little little participation. Now, I was going to be wearing these when I came up, um, but neither fit. So that was going to be really weird with this helmet. But this is this is a Navy fighter helmet. This is a helmet that was actually used. This helmet went on over 700 carrier landings uh, in Vietnam. This is a floaty thingy. <laughs> this is something you would wear if you uh, don't swim real well. This represents a cruise ship. I should have had a beach ball. That'd be better. But here we have this. So I want you to, to think with me, and I want you to shout it out. On a cruise ship, describe life on a cruise ship for me. Luxury. Luxury. Yeah. What was that? Party. Party. Okay. <laughs> Relaxation. Unlimited food. That's why I want to go on one. <laughs> Unlimited food. Anything else? Cruise ship. What is it? Beautiful. Okay. All your needs are met. Stress free. Neurovirus. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. <laughs> so, if you were going to sum up life on a cruise ship with a couple words, how would you sum it up? Easy, comfortable, lazy. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Maybe about me, right? Entertainment. Cruise ship life. If I'm on a cruise ship, it's about, it's about me. Now, think with me a battleship. A battleship or an aircraft carrier. We have Rhiannon in here who served on a carrier. My father-in-law was a pilot flying off a carrier many years ago. Um, we have others here in the military. Describe life on a battleship for me. Rough. Regimented. Regimented. What was that, Mr. Marine? Secluded. Secluded. Dangerous. Dangerous. Ooh. How else would you describe life? Think about an aircraft carrier, if you've ever seen the videos. I've never served in the military. I've never been on one, but my guess would be teamwork. Teamwork. Mm -hmm. Responsibility. Responsibility. Cramp. Yes. <laughs> Tight quarters, cramped. Absolutely. Lonely. So life on a battleship, on an on a aircraft carrier, sum that up in just a couple words. Not very pleasurable. Maybe not about me, about the mission. Life on a cruise ship is about me. What am I getting? Am I entertained? Am I comfortable? How's my food? Life on a battleship, on an aircraft carrier, it's about the mission, Right? It's about what you're doing. It's not about me. If it is about you, you'll be done pretty quick from what I understand. <laughs> We're going to carry this picture through this entire series, cruise ship or battleship. Now, as I said, God really laid this on my heart, the, the church. And so I've been preparing for months and months. And then it was uh, about a month ago, I was talking to a friend pastor down in Fresno. And he said, you know, the church is a cruise ship, not a battle, or the, the church is a battleship, not a cruise ship. I thought that is a really, really good way of putting it. Because so often, here's the questions, and here's me. I'm, I'm using me. I'm not picking on anybody else. Here's the questions I asked when looking at a church. Because I've moved around and I've done things. I ask, is the coffee good? 
I like coffee. <laughs> how, you know, how, how's the coffee? How's, how's the seating? You know, do I have to sit next to somebody I don't know? Um, is there enough room? How's the parking? Do I have to walk real far? Um, do I know where to go? Is the signage good? Is the music what I like? Is the pastor interesting to listen to? Does he keep my attention? You know, think about the questions that we ask. Do they have the programs that fit me and my family, the things that I want to do? Those aren't all bad questions. So if you've asked those questions, those aren't all bad. But if those are the only questions you're asking, that's kind of a cruise ship mentality. That's about me. That's consumerism, right? That's what we call church shopping, which again, don't let me, you know, help me understand. I mean, I want you to understand it's okay when you move somewhere, try a different church. That's totally okay. But what questions are you asking as you're doing that? Church shopping, is it about me? Or on the other side, think of church like a battleship. What questions would you ask? What's the mission? Is this, is this church going somewhere? Are they, are, do they have a goal? What do they have going on that I can be part of? Here's the question. Do you know your skills and gifting and what you have to offer? Last week, uh, Paul, if you missed last week, it was awesome. Um, I missed last week, so I listened to the podcast. But Paul talked about how to make wise decisions. You know, how to make decisions and what's the question we should ask. And the question was, is this a wise thing to do? And one of the comments he made that, that really just resonated with me is, everybody is part of the whole. Each of us that is part of the church is part of the whole, meaning the decisions we make actually impact others, whether we know it or not. And so we are part of the whole. Somebody said teamwork. You said teamwork and a battleship. It's all working together uh, to, to accomplish a purpose. And so here with a battleship mentality of the church, where do I fit? Am I a pilot? Am I uh, in the tower? You, you know, am I part of it? And is there room for me to fit in? Am I going to use that? So it's a different way of thinking when we come into the church, if it's a me mentality or if it's a us and a mission mentality. So I don't want to beat that to death, but I'm going to over the next month. <laughs> um, but today, here's what we want to start with today. Today, it's going to be very basic, very broad, but what is a healthy church? That's what we want to look at. Today, what does a healthy church look like? And the reason we're talking about that is because I think the church, each individual church can look very different and still be healthy. I think sometimes we measure health the wrong way. You know, we measure it by how many people there are there. That, that may be good, maybe not. We measure health by, you know, how emotional it feels. Again, emotion's not bad, but how are we measuring the health of a church? How many programs they have? I, here's one I've heard a lot. This is a great church because I can do something in the church every night of the week. So it's healthy because it keeps me busy doing churchy things. Is that biblical? Is that biblical? So, unfortunately, we have to make a definition. A definition of the church before we look at what a healthy church is. Let me pray one more time. Lord Jesus Christ, we are, we are talking about your topic. <laughs> You say that on this rock, I will build my church. The church is yours, Jesus. And so it's, uh, it's intimidating for me to try and talk for you, but yet that's the job you've given. And I pray that you would speak, that Holy Spirit, you would make clear through your word what a healthy church looks like. That through this series, you would encourage us, that we would fall deeper in love with you, that we would get excited about what you are doing 
and that we would engage in the mission, that we would be used. It's so exciting when we are part of what you're doing. But when we're about us, it's not as exciting. Um, it can be depressing. And so, Jesus, I just pray that you would show us more of you. We gather because of you. I love the song Spirit just singing. You know, awake my soul. I have to do that sometimes. Like the psalmist wrote, hey, wake up, soul. You have a God who loves you, who gave himself for you. And I just thank you so much that you bring life. Be honored and glorified today as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. Now, we're not going to dissect that, but there was a lot involved when he said to a, a comment Peter made. Peter made a comment about Jesus, who he was, his identity. Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. I want to just focus on what he said, my church, and the word church. What do you think of with the word church? Do you think a building? Yeah, a building. Um, what you do on Sunday Maybe you think of a denomination, Lutheran, Baptist, Catholic. Maybe you think of that. What is a church? Maybe you think of church leadership, pastors. I hear that all the time. Oh, I go to so-and-so's church, and they refer to the pastor. It's like, I think you have that wrong. I think it's Jesus' church, and whoever the pastor is, hopefully is serving Jesus in that. But what is the church? The word church used right here in that verse and elsewhere in Scripture is ecclesia, Ecclesia, you can debate how it's pronounced, but ecclesia, and that's the word it's used over 150 times in the New Testament referring to the church, but you know what? It doesn't mean church. <laughs> the word church that we use actually comes from German. The word ecclesia means to call out from. It's kind of two words put together, called out, and so the ecclesia is those called out from the world to God. It's a people. It's not a place. It's not a, a logo. <laughs> it's not a denomination. It's a people group called out from the world to God. A better translation might be assembly or congregation because that's how it was used a lot at the beginning was it's a congregation, a gathering of people called out. And we've kind of messed it up when we've referred it to just a place I go on Sunday. When we started Common Ground, we tried to get away with not calling this church. Unfortunately, that's what our culture calls it. You know, we, we wanted to say, hey, we're going to the gathering. Or this used to be the manger bookstore. Hey, we're going to go to the manger. But that, it was just confusing. So we kind of had to go back to just how everybody calls it. We're going to church. But it's not just, it, that's not totally right. Because we don't go to church. We are the church. Now, in two weeks, we are going to talk about this gathering. And I'm really excited about that. Why do we gather? Should we gather? Is it okay if I miss for? Sundays a month. Who cares? Um, what's, what's the point? So that's going to be fun in two weeks, but the church is the called out ones. And there's two ways to view the church. And it's important we understand one is the universal church. So when you believed in Christ, you were then baptized in the spirit into the church. When you were baptized in water, you were baptized into a specific church as a representation of the whole. Somebody asked me today before the service, hey, I was baptized into this church over here. Is that a valid, bat do I need to be baptized again? No, because the church is a global church. All of those who have by faith accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and committed their lives to him, that is the church. But when we sit on that, and I hear this all the time, well, I believe in God, I just don't like organized religion. So I don't want to be part of 
the church. I, you know, I, I like church out in nature. I, I prefer being out on a walk. I meet with God better that way. And, you know, sometimes I do too. But it misses the point. A lot of the New Testament, when it talks about the ecclesia, or when the, the letters are written, they write to the church at Ephesus. The church in Jerusalem. They're referring to specific churches. So God's plan is specific churches, gatherings, congregations that are part of the whole. Picture it this way, castles in a kingdom. There's a kingdom, one king over the whole kingdom, that's the church. But then in the kingdom, you have castles. And the castles have different purposes sometimes, you know, minute different purposes, but they're all part of the kingdom. And so we want to have a view of we're just one castle, common ground. We're one church, but we're part of the whole. And if at any point, this little castle doesn't serve the, the needs of the whole, then that castle goes away, and maybe another one springs, if that makes sense. It's not about so much the local congregation. It's about the whole, but yet what we do here is how we carry out life in the whole. Does that make sense? I'm kind of talking in circles here, but, but what we do here is important. So the church, now here's the other question. Are there people that are part of the church that don't go to services on Sunday? Trick question? Absolutely. There are. There are people that are part of the church that aren't part of a church. Now, I would say that should not be the norm. That shouldn't, that's not God's plan, but yes, that happens. Are there people in here, in a lot of churches on a Sunday, that are not part of the church? There are. So the church is not everybody in the room. It's everybody in the room that by faith has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and is following him. That is the church. Now, what is a healthy church? Oh, here's your first note. The church is a specific group of people called out from the world to God for a purpose. For a purpose. We don't go to church. We are a church. But now I want to look at what a healthy church is because a lot of times we think a healthy church is what I like or what I grew up with or what I'm used to. A healthy church is one that has upbeat music. A healthy church is one that sings only hymns. It can be either, right? A healthy church is one that does hip-hop. You know those exist? <laughs> a church can do just hip-hop worship music and still be a healthy church. Maybe not many, but it's possible <laughs> to, to, to be. Can a church meet on a Saturday night rather than on a Sunday and still be? Ab absolutely. But, so how do we measure that? How do we measure? We're going to be looking in Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians chapter 3. This is the same book that Paul talked about last week, the book of Ephesians. We're going to be on page 1080. If you're grabbing the Bible under you or in the seat pocket, um, feel free to turn to your, your mobile device if that's what you have. But Ephesians chapter 3, and here's the question we're asking. What is the most recognizable characteristic of any healthy church? How can we measure the health and it's sticky. We don't want to become judgmental people, but we do want to be able to look at, specifically, we want to look at this. I want us during this series to look around and go, are we healthy? Which is kind of hard to examine yourself, but we want to look at this. Are we healthy? And we're going to measure it by the way God measures it. Let's start Ephesians 3, 10 through 11. Paul writes, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
This is all we're looking at today, just these verses. How often do you begin a conversation with, so that? <laughs> not, not very often. So we do need to see what came before. Um, so go home and listen to Paul's podcast because he summarized Ephesians really well. Um, but basically what we've seen in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 is Paul talking about why it's great that you're a Christian. The benefits of being a believer, that you are adopted. Alex taught on this last month, month and a half ago. That if you missed that, look that up on the podcast. But that we are adopted. That when we're saved, we are not just you know, made right with God and said, now you get to go to heaven. We are then adopted as sons and daughters of the king. That's pretty awesome. Uh, that when we are saved by faith, he won't bring up our sin later. We belong to him. Now, what he's talking about here is he is writing to Ephesus, a place of Gentiles. Who were the first believers? Jews. The Jews. So the Jews, Jesus, by the way, our Savior, was a Jew. <laughs> he was born a Jew, and he was the promised Messiah to the Jews. And so as Jesus sent his disciples out before he died and rose, he said, go to the house of Israel. Go to the Jews first. He said, don't go to the Gentiles. But when he died and rose again, then he said, okay, now go to everybody. He said, this is for the nations. And Paul, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. By the way, that's most of us. Maybe one or two of us has Jewish ancestry, but most of us are, are Gentiles. And that was something really sticky in the early church because it was okay, if you become a Christian and follow Jesus, do you have to become a Jew too? Do you have to do all the Jewish things and follow that law? So there was kind of that rub. And from the Jews, there was kind of the, they were used to it for centuries the Jews were God's people. And so you're going to claim to be God's people. You have to become a Jew. And so Paul here in Ephesians is saying, there's a mystery, a mystery that is now revealed. And it is that God has chosen Jews and Gentiles all to be saved and to come together as one holy people. So a, a Christian does not have to become a Jew. A Gentile, sorry, a Gentile Christian does not have to become a Jew. And, and a Jewish Christian, you know, they're going to do things their own way, but their salvation is not on the law, but it's on Jesus Christ. And so picture this, a healthy Jewish church in Jerusalem is going to look pretty different than a healthy Gentile church in Ephesus, wouldn't it? It would look very different. And both could be very healthy, but they both have the same purpose as he describes right here in these verses. And I think that's Paul's point. We can look different, but here's what's great. God has chosen you Gentiles, but here's what God has wanted from the beginning to accomplish through you. So that, he chose Jews and Gentiles, one church, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So that God would be known. God is making himself known through the church. You see that picture? That's, that's kind of the big idea of this whole thing. God wants to make himself known to everybody in the world, and he does it through the church. We talk about it often here at Common Ground that the Christian life is not us working hard for God. That's religion. The Christian life is Jesus living the life he lived then, lived out now, in and through us. Because God wants to reveal himself, his character to the world through the church. So the picture is of a conduit, if you know what a conduit is. We are a conduit, the church, every believer and the church corporately is a conduit of the knowledge of God. But right here it says the manifold wisdom of God. Um, you ever had an electric fence? 
They're so much fun. <laughs> we had an electric fence for a while trying to keep the dogs out of uh, the garden because the dogs would dig up the, they'd take the cucumbers and they'd dig up the carrots. And so I got really ticked. And so I set up this electric fence. Well, it was so much fun because you could get a certain kind of flower. We did it when I was a kid. And uh, you could touch it to the electric fence and not really feel it. But now you were electrified. And so this finger then, you could touch somebody, zap, and zap. I mean, it, so much fun. And so the great thing is you, you go and, and the kids don't know about it yet. So you just put, you know, hey, come here. I want to show you something. Put it, zap, ah! you know, and you're a conduit. Then you could actually hold hands. One person could do this, grab hands. There's a little shock, but then it's gone. And you could create a chain of three or four people. And then the one on the end is electrified. <laughs> and so the power came from the fence. The power didn't come from us. The power came from the fence, and it transferred through us, and we taught the dog what it feels like. Um, yeah, maybe those of you that love animals, forgive me. Um, but I wanted to see if it would work, and it didn't work until you touched his nose, and then it worked. Um, but the dog learned about the power. We only did it once. We didn't do it again, because that's so mean. Um, we did it to the kids multiple times. <laughs> But, but <laughs> the, the point is we were a conduit of the power. So we could teach somebody else about the power of electricity just by touching them. Th that's kind of the idea that God wants to reveal himself through us. We are a conduit of him. So when you touch somebody with your life, hopefully they are learning about God. When somebody walks in this room, you know what we want them to leave saying? I met with God, not Alex is awesome, Roger's awesome, Tony. That's not, we want them to go out saying, I met with God because we are a conduit of the, the manifold wisdom of God. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom, Paul talked about last week how to make wise decisions. Um, and wisdom is knowledge and skill applied. This word talks about the, the use of wisdom, the use of knowledge. So you, you study the Bible and you learn things, then you apply it and see that it's really true and it, it changes your life. That's the wisdom he's talking about. So the manifold wisdom of God is talking about how we live our lives. It includes salvation. It also includes then how we live. Husbands, how do you be a good husband? Well, guess what? It talks about it in Ephesians, in 1 Peter, how to do it. And so that's, that's part of the manifold wisdom. We learn how to live, what his plan was for marriage. Parents and kids, we can study the Bible to learn out God's plan for the family. It's, it's in here. And so we learn about God through that. So that's the wisdom, how to be right with God, then how to live. And this is what the church is to be about. But he says the manifold wisdom. Manifold. That one's, it means much varied. A lot of times I think we think manifold means big, but it doesn't. Manifold means much varied wisdom. So, so God has, there's so much about God. I think it's going to take us eternity of getting to know him. And right here on earth, we cannot know everything about God, but we can know what he has revealed through his word and what he reveals through his church, which will not be contrary to his word, but manifold, many varied. How does that apply to us? You ever hear churches go, well, we're, a, we're an evangelism church, or I've heard it said about Common Ground, and, and I, I, I meet people go, oh, hey, how's that whole outreach church thing going? <laughs> and, and that it's frustrating because a church isn't supposed to be one thing. We want to reveal all that God is as much as we're not going to be perfect. But if we are just an outreach church, just about evangelism, then maybe some people are being saved and coming to know him, but then they don't learn about him. They don't grow up. They don't learn actually how to be a good husband or, or, or a good wife. 
We need both. Or we're just a discipleship church. We just teach. So we don't, wanna, we don't care about seeing people saved, but we're going to teach them. We're going to go deep. See, these, are, these are the deep churches where th- that's the main focus. You just focus on that. And there's a danger in every church of going, of going one way or another. Or how about this one? We're a worship church. A worship, we're all about um, emotion. And again, knowledge is good. That Bible teaching, that's great. <laughs> Seeing people saved, that's awesome. Emotion and worship, I think it's great. But when we focus on just one, it's all about just the spirit working through us and we should be seeing all this stuff. Manifold wisdom, many varied. And so a healthy church is going to be different things or at least growing in that because there's no such thing as a perfect church. But God wants his manifold wisdom to be revealed through his church. Each church should seek to be well-rounded. So this is in your notes. A healthy church is serving as a conduit by which God will make himself known, a conduit. You know, as I sat there and thought, what does God want people to know that he's going to let it known through us? What are the great questions that people ask and that people debate? Questions of origin, right? Where did we come from? Why are we here? I mean, these are the big philosophical questions that people have written about over and over. Guess what? The answers are in the Bible. Where did we come from? Adam and Eve in the garden. That's not just a myth. We can learn about that. How how did this whole sin thing, what about pain? Where did pain come from? We can read Genesis. God wants us to know where that came from. Well, does God still love us? Well, yeah. Read through the whole Bible. It's a story of God's love for humanity and his work at reconciling us back to him. So the questions people ask, our deepest questions are answered in God's word. And guess what? You and me, we're stewards of that. Do you realize that? You have the responsibility to represent God to people. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're perfect in knowledge. But when somebody asks that question, hopefully you are an instrument that helps either answering it or or bring them to where it can be answered. But a healthy church is serving as, as a conduit for God. They're learning about God. They're learning about God's love, grace, mercy. Maybe you've heard this about parenting. More is caught than taught. You know, parents say, do what I say, not what I do. Horrible parenting. Um, (laughs) More is caught than taught. And I would argue that the knowledge of God, for those especially outside, not in the church yet, more is going to be caught than taught. Here's what I mean. They're going to see you live. They're going to see you. Guess what? Your neighbors, they can probably hear what's going on inside your house. That's why when we have kids outside fighting and screaming, come do it inside. (laughs) We don't want the whole neighborhood to hear we're not perfect. Um, (laughs) Which we're not. But... um, but, but more is caught than taught. You're in the store and your kids start going at it. What do you do? How do you handle it? People are watching. <laughs> maybe they know you, maybe they don't. Maybe, some, maybe your neighbor's on the other side peeking through going, ha they're not perfect. Let's see what they do. Whap! <laughs> but, but they're gonna catch. They're gonna see how we go through life. Uh, a sickness in the family, a death in the family. How do you handle that? Do you have joy? When somebody wrongs you, when somebody cuts you off on the road, <laughs> so... Talking about parenting, um, Kayla, our 10-year-old, she uses this word every now and then, idiots. I'm like, where does she hear that? And Kayla's like, where do you think she hears it? Me driving down the road yesterday, going to California, and I have to stop and have them inspect my boat. And they go, hey, is your plug in? No, I took it out. Can I check? Sure. Then they come back. I'm like, why'd you ask me if you're going to check anyway? 
idiots. <laughs> Callie's like, see, right there, that's it. You know, that's not, that was not a Christ-like attitude. Um, now, I was nice to her. You know, she didn't know. I thought it was stupid. Um, but, but the point is, how, how do we live? Do my kids watch me being grumpy about something like that? Or do they see me having grace? More is caught than taught. I learned a great deal about God through my parents and others. I could list many others, not just through my parents. But I learned about generosity as I saw my parents give vehicles to people who needed it. They could have sold the vehicle for six grand, whatever, but they gave it to somebody. I learned about that. I learned as I watched my parents bring in teenagers who didn't have a home or, or who had struggled. They brought them, they let them sleep there. They, and then I watched those teenagers do horrible things and my parents welcomed back in, corrected. But I, I watched grace and mercy and then still giving them what they didn't deserve. Um, I witnessed truth and love. When I was, uh, I think, 15, a youth leader in youth group took us to toilet paper somebody's house. And so we're, we're in a, a minivan and we toilet paper the house, which was a lot of fun. But then the owner comes out and we all ha ha laugh and we jump in the car. He jumped in his car. Now we're on a high-speed chase <laughs> going through town with our youth group leader. That youth group leader worked for my dad. <laughs> he, he, somehow my dad learned about it. I don't know how. Um, and I remember early in the morning, I came out and the office was upstairs and I heard upstairs my dad with this youth leader dealing with that situation. And there was truth. There was, that was stupid. <laughs> you know, there was the truth of here's how you lead. Here's a, here's a godly life. But then there was also some grace and love. You know, he didn't fire him. He didn't kick him out. He, you know, he didn't go to the youth pastor and say, hey, he shouldn't be a youth leader. There was truth and love. And so I learned about truth and love because we can go one way or the other in the church, can't we? We can lean too far in love and go, we're not going to talk about truth. Or we can go way far in truth and then who wants to be around us? There's no love. Our eternal purpose. God's plan for the church from the beginning of time is that he would reveal the character of God to the world. Look here at our verses where he says this. He says, so the, um, read them all again. There's only two of them. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is his eternal purpose. It's always been his plan that you and I would come together at this point in time in Carson City to make God known to the world. This isn't an accident. You're not an accident. Your coming to faith is not an accident. God planned this from the beginning. Now, we can easily skip over because it's kind of confusing. He says, to making known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He's talking about angels. He's talking about the angels in heaven that are watching. Do you know that? Do you know that the angel, there are angels right now there's angels in heaven. There's angels among us. You know, there's a song about that. Um, and I, that's very true. Do you know they don't know God perfectly? They don't know everything about God. And so God's plan was that even these angels that he created are learning about God as they watch us. So you, in your house, as you're handling your family, there's angels watching. And they're like, huh, I just learned something about God through what they just did because Jesus is living through that person. Do you know that angels are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit like we are? We are very unique. The Bible never says that angels are created in God's image. Did you know that? Men and women are created in the image of God, but angels, it says, are not. 
I don't know what that means. The Bible does not talk a lot about angels. It really doesn't. It's one of those things that kind of leaves it open. We'll figure that out later. But angels are learning as they watch you and I, and there's value in that. There's value in that that we don't even know. I'm very practical. I'm very pragmatic. How are things working? Are what we do in making a difference in their life and their life, and are they seeing? Well, when I do something that nobody sees, when I resist a temptation that nobody would know about, there are angels watching and they're learning something. That's, that's weird, <laughs> but that's kind of awesome. And those things I think will be brought up later. Now, I wanted to bring this out because as we talk about the church, the church is to reveal God to the world. This is consistent with God's plan from the beginning. You know, the question is, what about the Old Testament? What about all those things? It all built to this. Adam was the first man. Genesis 1.26. You don't have to turn there. It's going to pop up here. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them, so he's talking about man and woman, by the way, man and woman equal here in God's image bearing. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Adam was made in God's image and he was made to be God's proxy on earth. Did you know that? The world was supposed to understand the character of God through mankind, but they failed pretty darn quick. And that God knew it was going to happen. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't like, oh man, what do I do now? He knew that was going to happen and it was worth it. So then he calls Israel. That's much of the Old Testament is the story of Israel. And God calls Adam, or I'm sorry, Abraham. But before he's Abraham, he's Abram. God calls him to, to set out his plan for Israel. And he says this in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. He did. It's Israel. It still exists. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's plan for Israel was that, was that they would follow him as a kingdom. They would follow God and others would see Israel living and go, oh, I know something about the one true God. The world was, you know, most of the world there in, in ancient Near East, they all had, it was multiple gods. You know, there's Judah, or I'm sorry, there's Jupiter and there's Mars and there's all these different gods. Well, here they were supposed to look at Israel and go, okay, there is one God and I see how he works. And just read through Genesis and see the things God does, Genesis, Exodus, even Leviticus. You see what God does through Israel. And people did see. They saw what God did miraculously. They're like, that's the real God. I want to be part of that. And they could. They could go be part of Israel. In Exodus 19.6, God, speaking to Israel, says this, For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Talking to Israel, he said, you will be a kingdom of priests. They had priests, but they were all supposed to serve in a priestly role. What's a priest's job? To be a conduit from God to the world. They were to be a conduit by way God's character would be known to the world. That's what a priest is. There were going to be a priest, it says, and a holy nation. The word holy means set apart. Set apart for a purpose. Set apart, clean, pure. What's the church to be? The ecclesia. A people set apart for God. We're to be holy. 
We're to be serving the same purpose that Israel was to serve, but did Israel do it? Israel did not fulfill that purpose. They failed in that purpose, but guess what? God knew they would. <laughs> they weren't God's ultimate plan. So then, Jesus. The New Testament talks about Jesus being the second Adam. He didn't sin. Jesus came. As Adam represented all of us, Jesus represented all of us. Adam sinned, we all sinned. Jesus represented all of us. Jesus did not sin. By faith, we get that righteousness <laughs> because of what he did on the cross. We get his righteousness on us. He did what Adam didn't do. He did what Israel couldn't do. Israel was supposed to represent God to the world, but guess what? They were human. They were fallen. They couldn't do it. Jesus did it perfectly. Jesus did perfectly what Israel could not do. They couldn't. So let's not judge Israel. Let's not judge Adam because we're just as bad or worse. <laughs> Jesus perfectly represented God. Hebrews 1, 3 Part of the verse says, he, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And we could, we could list many verses, but Jesus was the exact representation of God. This is why here at Common Ground, we've gone through John for the last year and a half with some breaks in there. But why did we study the book of John so deeply? Because the book of John is all about Jesus. And if you get to know Jesus, you get to know God because Jesus perfectly represented God. Jesus did what Israel couldn't do. Jesus did what Adam couldn't do. Jesus did what we can't do. So now we, the church, are a conduit. God is going to make himself known through us, but it's still Jesus. Here's the point we need to get. It's still Jesus because we can't do it perfectly, but Jesus can do it perfectly. And as we study the New Testament, Jesus lives in and through us. Ephesians 3, 10 through 11, what we're studying right now, that through us he will make the manifold wisdom of God known. In 1 Peter 2, 9, Peter writes to the church saying, you are a nation of priests, a nation of priests. So we are conduits, intermediaries between God and the world. Doesn't mean people have to come to us, you know, to, to communicate with God, but they should get to know God and then they become a priest too and they have a direct connection to God. So here's how this all sums up. A healthy church is a congregation that is increasingly, or that increasingly reflects God's character as his character has been revealed in his word. I didn't make this up. This is Mark Dever. But I think he says this extremely well. A healthy church is a congregation that increasingly reflects God's character as his character has been revealed in his word. So a healthy church can sing any number of styles of music. Who cares? A healthy church can meet in a giant building in a tiny room. That doesn't matter. Is it doing this? Is the church making God known, his character? And I think it's important to look at what he says here increasingly. Is the church getting better? There's no such thing as a perfect church. If you find a perfect church, leave because you'll mess it up. <laughs> there's no such thing as a perfect church because there's no such thing as perfect people. But is the church increasingly revealing God's character? Are you and I, as individual members of the whole, increasingly revealing God's character? Are we getting better? Are we closer to God now than we were a year ago, individually? Are we carrying it out better corporately now than we were a year ago? I think we are. I hope I am. You know, are we, are we looking at that? But we're increasingly 
revealing God's character. We're getting better and better. And we're revealing his manifold wisdom. And in that definition, it says, as revealed in his word. This is our, this is our measure, what we see here. As we study this, we get to know Jesus. And as we get to know Jesus, we get to know God. And as we see how Jesus lived, we see how we are to live. Is this our ambition? This is why I'm starting out with this, a healthy church. Is this our ambition or are we happy just doing church? Are we happy just doing church? I heard a, a quote, I'm mean, just a normal old everyday Joe from a church in Alabama or somewhere like that. Um, and he said something really well. He said, once you taste purpose, you can't go back to boring everyday Sunday. Once you taste the purpose of the church, you can never just go back to boring old everyday Sunday. We have a valuable purpose. And once we discover it and get involved in it, it's so exciting. But if all we've ever known is church, and we just go because we're supposed to, that's really boring. <laughs> it's really boring. And I think we could maybe call that lukewarm, which in Revelation, Jesus says, if you're lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. It's like coffee that's lukewarm. You ever done that? <laughs> Are we part of his mission? Are we going in his direction? What does a healthy church look like? Revealing God's character. As people walk in here, do they experience God's grace and truth? Does somebody who looks very worldly walk in and feel loved and welcomed? I've seen it. There's, there's a lot of times, uh, I don't want to pick on old Baptist churches, but I can a little bit because we're supported through the Baptist. Um, but so, you know, we can say we're a Baptist church, but, but my view growing up of Baptist church was judgmental was um, somebody that comes in off the street, you look at him and go, mm-mm, out. Go get your clean, yourself cleaned up and come back. That's not God's character. That's not who he is. You know, there's those churches that will go picket at the gay pride parades. That's not God's character. Is God against sin? Absolutely. Is God against the sinner? No, he wants to save them. So are people getting to know God through us? Grace, love, truth, mercy. When somebody wrongs you, how do you respond? I'm going to get him back. <laughs> or do you respond how Jesus responded? He talks about it in 1 Peter, which is a great, it's a great picture of how we respond. When you're wrong, do like Jesus did, who uttered no threats. That's for me, take a message. <laughs> he uttered no threats. He didn't get back. And here's what I want to end with before we move on to next week. As a battleship, the whole is made up of individual parts. You, if you're a believer, if you've chosen to follow Jesus Christ as Lord, you are part of the whole, meaning we need you. <laughs> meaning you have a role in this representation of God. You put on the helmet. You engage in the battle. And we're going to get more into the battle over the next few weeks and over what we are to do with that. Or are we doing cruise ship church? Is it about me? Am I being fed? Am I getting what I want? Did they run out of coffee? How's the parking? Those things, are we focused on that? And then I would encourage you, please try and be here for the next month. Be here for the next month because if you miss, you're gonna miss out on something important that we need as the church. Let me pray and we're gonna continue to worship. Lord Jesus Christ, uh, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for allowing us to participate in your mission. I'll admit, Father, that as I have studied this and as I, I see that our job as the church is to represent you, um, 
I feel a little bit overwhelmed. When I, when I don't have a correct mindset, I feel guilty. I feel pressure. I feel stress because that's a heavy duty. Uh, uh, it's a load. Um, as I, I see my neighbor across the street and I see this incorrectly, I think, if I mess it up, they're going to get the wrong view of God. Um, but yet, Jesus, you say that when we follow you, when we commit to you, that your burden is light. That what we do in service to you is not a heavy load, but it's a joy because it's not us doing for you. It's you living in and through us. And we're accepted no matter what. We're adopted. We're accepted. Even if we mess up, because we will. Holy Spirit, I ask you, I beg you, live through us individually and corporately in a unique way. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would get involved in every church in this town. Every church in this town that believes in you, that follows your word, that you would send workers into the harvest, that there would be many in this city that people could look at and get to know you, that all the churches in Carson City would grow. All of them would grow in salvations and grow in people getting to know you and that we would see a revitalization of your church, that we would see many, many doing a good job of just simply abiding in you and that you're making yourself known. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Um, this is our time to look at ourselves a little bit. This is a time to take a minute as they begin singing the song to look at your heart. Look at yourself. How